Introducing Mortgage Matters. This is a great time to go buy a house. This is when the real estate fortunes are made. A show dedicated to helping you navigate the challenging and ever-changing financial and real estate landscape. Fannie Mae and Freddie Mac were put into conservatorship in 2008 and continued to dominate the mortgage market. Now, your hosts, Dan Podesto and Jason Grody of Central Coast Lending. The fact that you're being called upon to help clean up Wall Street's mess... Is an outrage. Broadcasting outrage. live from the KVEC studios in San Luis Obispo. What economy are you talking about? Talking it's about time about. for Mortgage Matters. You know how to do it? Oh, man. Oh, man. Dan's having more headphone emergencies. Dude. Dude. I charged him. I charged him. There's got to be something going on. There's a reset. I might need you to... I forget what you do. You have to like hold the power button and the maybe that talk button down for a minute. Oh, here, let me show you, Dan. Yeah. I don't know. Flashing red. I know. I charged it on the way here. I think your battery's done. No. Done. Done. All right, everybody. Welcome to Mortgage Matters. Hardwired headphones. Put the wired ones on, Dan. We got a show (laughs) to do. Hey, you know what's funny? What's funny? I feel like this is a rerun right now. No. You know why? Why? Because for the last like hour of slumber last night, I was literally dreaming of Mortgage Matters. Wow. And it wasn't even like there was no exciting guest. There was nothing fun. It was. Uh, well, let's go ahead and just trash the thing right now. No, I'm just saying. No, 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 no. I'm not saying <laughs> it's it be wasn't a great show. It wasn't some sort of <laughs> prophetic, uh, yeah. you know, <laughs> depiction of today's show. I'm just saying <laughs> it was just a show. Yeah. And on the show, in my dream, I'm just. Talking about all the things, and there was no fame or fortune. There was no, you know, it was just sitting in here with you two goons talking away. (laughs) And then I woke up. It was nothing special. I woke up to the old alarm, and I'm like, "How isn't that?" And I'm, I'm not kidding you. You know, you ever guys ever have that thing where your alarm's about to go off, and then. It's like you. It's like your internal clock knows it, yeah, right? Yeah. I mean, I don't even wake up with an alarm. I set one for mortgage matters because yeah. I woke up at six thirty this morning, knowing my alarm's going to go off in a few minutes. Yeah, mm-hmm. yeah. So, anyways, it's like I knew it. So I even wrapped up the show in my dream, like that last couple minutes where mm-hmm. we're like giving our contact info and everything, and then yeah. and then my alarm went off like right after that, and I was like, oh, cool, I get to do that again for real. <laughs> <laughs> It was funny. I remember when I was in high school, I used to have this dream. Guys, how hard is it to wake up when you're a teenager? Yeah. You remember Impossible. that? It's hard. Yeah. But I had this dream. It was like a recurring dream that I'd be like, put a tractor into reverse, mm-hmm. kind of turn around in the bucket seat, be staring out the back window while I'm backing up this big old loader, mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. and it'd be going beep, beep, beep. And then my dad would come in and just turn off that alarm because it had been beeping for a long time. And it turns out I'm like in my dream, I'm backing up the tractor instead of actually you like hearing my alarm. Right. Yeah. yeah. So anyhow. Yeah. Now do you have the, the, the other problem on Sunday when you don't have your alarm on and you wake up anyway? Yeah, totally. (laughs) It's like, 
The one day you can sleep in? I just turn today's. I always yeah. turn an alarm on on Saturday. Yeah. And then also I do one on Wednesday too because I have an early meeting on Wednesday. And uh-huh. by and large, I'm awake before it. But it's just that thing where you're, you know. It's really a backup. Can't be late. You guys won't wait for me. What are you going to do? You That's guys right. going to start Mortgage Matters 10 minutes early? Well, you know, I, yeah. <laughs> My problem is I, I'm not here. The motor mouths aren't here. We're off the air. Right. Not a problem. Yeah. Yeah. You need to be here. You're kind <laughs> of a gotta be here. <laughs> critical component. Yeah, they can be st- standing outside. I'm the only one with a key. <laughs> no. Well, here we are, the final day. Of September. That feels weird. September went bizarrely fast for me. That feels really weird. It's going to be November. Break out the Ugg boots and the pumpkin spice lattes. Here we go. Isn't it crazy? I saw lots of um, stores are putting out Christmas decorations already. Well, I I live down the street from a Halloween store, and I'm like, not yet. Yet, like, man. Yeah, that's like it is yet. <laughs> yeah, that's yeah, that's, that's crazy. I just can't believe it. Away. I can't believe it. Yeah. Some unbelievable. Yeah. Uh had a busy week this week in the office. It was a fun week. Um, you know, just doing all the things, helping people realize their dreams. What's the whole mix? Still half and half, purchase and refi, something like that. Yeah, about that. Last time, the last quarterly report I did was for the second quarter, and it was about 55% purchase volume, 45 mm. refi. I'm interested to see how the third quarter fared. I'll be doing that next week and checking out those numbers. So I could share that next week when we're here. Yeah, I, I did a few refinances this month. Um, well, rates dipped down for a good, what, half of the last quarter. So that was a nice opportunity for for people to to lower their rate get a lower payment lower their terms, yeah, those things and you know what um we're not seeing the headlines anymore about the year-to-date interest rate lows and stuff like that but they're really not up that much no um, no you know and one of the things I'm, I'm not sure that people realize is that uh interest rates themselves are sort of always the same they're, you know, three and a quarter, three and three eighths, three and a half, all the way up. What changes is the fee associated with every rate. So when we talk about like where the interest rate is today, oftentimes we're sort of using the no points interest rate to to talk about kind of what the normal rate is today. And, um, you know, so you can always pay points or get a closing cost credit or whatever. So anyway, interest rates did creep up a little bit from the low they were a few weeks ago, but pretty much a negligible amount. So it's it's still nice and low. Um, the few refis that um, were in my pipeline this month, I I think I shared this a little bit already, but I did a basically a hundred percent cash out refi on a VA loan. Um, I don't know if you guys have been seeing this on the the channels you watch on TV, but I keep seeing a bunch of VA commercials on TV, um, you know, talking about how you earned the right to, you know, get this loan and put money in the bank and have a cushion, pay off all your debts, all your things, and 
Um, kind of makes it sound like it's something special that New Day Financial does, but mm. it's really not. I've heard just recently a radio commercial for Navy Federal Credit Union. Oh, yeah. Acting like they have a very special offer for their Almost veteran exclusive, members. yeah. yeah. You know, and um, I thought it might just be good to remind everybody in this case, you know, if, if you're a veteran or there's a veteran in your life, um, those kinds of loans are, are um, I mean, most companies offer them. Uh, not all companies do them um, well, uh, and they offer different terms too. So it's another loan that I think is worth shopping around. And I'm not sure that you know because we don't we don't put a huge advertising effort out into saying you know we're we're your exclusive VA lender to the Central Coast. Maybe we should. It seems like the big boys think that that's a a market really worth targeting. Um, but I just thought I'd remind people, you know that. Uh, we do VA loans, and this one that I did this week was a pretty cool one because it was a hundred percent cash out refi. And um, I think I'd shared the details of this when the loan started up a couple weeks ago, or yeah, I think it was about three and a half weeks ago because it was, um, well, it was a big deal to these guys. And they so as it goes, they bought a house out in um, on the coast, and they ended up. Um, taking out a line of credit against the house, put the daughter through medical school. So they'd, they'd racked up a pretty significant, I mean, exhausted their savings, as you can imagine. I mean, what's it cost to send a kid through medical school today? If your kid wants to be a doctor, I think you need to have a couple hundred thousand dollars ready for that. Yeah. So, um, yeah, at the end of the day, there was, you know, savings are exhausted. There's some money on credit cards. They got a line of credit that they used a hundred thousand dollars on. And, uh, you know, what we were able to do is do a cash out refi. And because of this gentleman's service and being a veteran, we're able to do a hundred percent cash out refi. Now that's different than, um, what a non VA loan is going to allow. Typically when you're doing a cash out refi, you're going to be capped at 80 to 85% loan to value. So because that's kind of a risky transaction, we, we require that you maintain a little bit of equity in that home. But on the VA loan, um, you don't have to. So um, did that – an ad popped up over the center of the screen there, Jim. Oh, but did gosh. that just say that it cost $380,000 to go to – 480. Oh, well, 330 to 480. Okay, it says the average cost the graduating uh, debt of the repayment is amount eight hundred eighty three thousand dollars. Okay. Once you factor in interest, repayment amounts can range from three hundred twenty nine thousand to four hundred eighty thousand dollars. See, and you know that's just talking about student loans too. I mean, that's there's not medical school, right? Well, and well, that's what it, it said, medical school. But I'm but, but I'm thinking also of the other things like uh, the fact that uh, you can't I work, uh-huh. right? When you're going to medical school, you're not likely to have a job. That was average student loan debt, not necessarily the cost of the average school. cost. Yeah. yeah. But, so what about rent and food and clothes and all those other things that um, are going to add up along the way too? I would say you're looking at least six hundred thousand, seven hundred, all who knows? encompassing. Yeah. yeah. By the time that's you factor it. in rent and all that. Oh yeah. Oh man, who knows? Yeah. That's a huge number. Mm-hmm. So yeah. Anyhow, um, it's a. That's a great loan program. We we love doing those. Um, they're they're pretty easy, you know. On the VA loans, there there isn't a max loan amount. Did you know that? 
There, yeah. there turns out to be a a factor where you begin having to make some contribution, you know, basically some down payment at some point, but you in theory could get a million, $2 million VA loan. Um, and so it's a, it's a pretty sweet loan. And I, I did, I thought it'd be a good time to just remind everybody that that's something we do. Um, not only do we do VA loans, we are direct approved with the department of veterans affairs. I forgot about that. A license, a special license that we had to go out and get to, to be able to sell loans directly. Yeah, and much of the reason they have that direct endorsement, by the way, is that many of the VA programs are very much geared towards protecting the veteran. <laughs> they want there are fees that you're not allowed to pay. There are caps on total fees to a transaction. There are things that like in a purchase transaction, things they require the seller to provide that are not required in other types of loan programs. So um very much of that program is geared towards um, serving and protecting the veteran. And um, so definitely uh, something to it that's a little bit different. Um, but yeah, we are. We we have the license to be a, a direct VA lender. And so um, we're happy to, to help anybody with that. Another one of the refis that I closed this month um, was for a gal. I think she's about 50 maybe 55, somewhere in there. Anyway, point being, she's looking at retiring in a few years. And um, we basically what, you know, her accountant was going through her stuff and sort of giving her, I'm sorry, not accountant, her financial advisor is going through her portfolio and looking at her plan and setting the whole thing up and said, you know what? Um, you should probably get a 15-year fixed. And so... Um, she had a fine 30 year fixed loan. Um, the 15 year fixed interest rate is about three quarters of a point lower than the 30 year fix that she has. And that 15 year fix gets her on a path to be able to pay her loan off by the time that she retires and no longer has that income. So, um, you know, again, cool. I mean, first of all, I, I love that financial advisors said, not only should you get a new loan, but you should get it with Central Coast Lending. This is somebody that we've got um, a pretty good history with and was thrilled to be able to give a referral to us. And, um, you know, and I know we did a good job with it. But so that was one where we're working with a financial advisor coming up with a plan to be able to line up paying off the house with uh, retirement. And that's a pretty cool thing. I'm not sure that everybody's thinking about that. Um, but, you know, I thought that'd be good to mention on the show for our listeners is um, there are definitely reasons you might look into restructuring your loan that aren't simply based on saving money or taking cash out to pay off credit cards or whatever. If you're sitting there thinking, I'm in a good place with my loan and I just got my head down working and making payments, good, you should. However, you know, sometimes check in and make sure you're doing the right thing, that you're in the right program and that you're going to pay off at the right time. I was always curious about the, the difference in interest costs between a 30 and a 15 year mortgage. And so Punch a, while, that up. a while ago, I finally crunched the numbers just to see. And when you repay your 30 year fixed, making the, the regular monthly payment for 360 payments, you end up paying... Uh, your principal back plus 70%. It's actually a little bit more. It's like 71 or 72% of that uh, original balance 
in interest. So you're paying 170% of what you borrowed at the end of 360 months. With a 15-year loan, you end up paying, I, if I remember correctly, it was somewhere closer to 29% of the loan balance um, in interest. So you end up paying, your repayment over 180 payments is 129% of what you borrowed. So it's significant reduction in interest cost if you um, if you can manage the 15 year payment and and then those other benefits like maybe it does line up better with your retirement or or if you're younger maybe it lines up better with with kids going to college or something when yeah. you have a a new major obligation to take care of. Yeah, I I keep this loan amortization schedule here on my laptop. It's that um, the Vertex 42 one. Um, but looking at, you know, like if I just took nice round numbers today of say 3.875 for a 30 year loan and I'm using, um, I'm going to use a $300,000 loan, right? Is that close enough? A lot of people have that borrow 300 grand at 3.875 on the 30 year. The total of all payments is 508 grand. Yeah, that's right about 70%. If we go to 3.25, which is right in there for a 15-year loan, that same 300 grand um, has a total of all payments of 379. It's a remarkable difference. And and yes, amortizing over a shorter period, even though the interest rate's higher, you're going to pay a little bit more every month. However, when you sit down and you realize that, because let me ask you, over that same 15-year period, would you have put that 130000 bucks you saved into an re- investment account, buy a lake home, you know, do something, um, whatever, put your kids through college, whatever. We, we just saw it cost eighty grand in student loans to put a kid through medical school. You could almost do that if you put your house onto a 15-year loan when your kid's three years old, you'll have that savings by the time you get there. So it's a, you know, not the right fit for everybody. But again, I thought it'd be smart to bring up in terms of one of the refis that I closed this week where um, we took a gal that had a just fine 30-year loan. She wasn't struggling, no debt, no no real compelling reason to do it other than the fact that um, save some interest and make sure the house is paid off um, to align with the retirement period. That's pretty slick. Um, and then the uh, another refi that I closed this month too was a guy, actually an investment property. And um, I similarly looking forward to retirement, but he owned an investment property condo and is on a 30 year loan. Well, he was making like a positive $400 a month off of this condo based on the 30 year loan, but he opted to get a 15 year loan where he no longer has positive cash flow. The thing's zeroed out, but the house is going to be paid off in 15 years. So Again, just accelerating that period uh, where the place will be paid off and have maximum cash flow out of it. So um, I thought that these these examples are nice things to share with people. If you're if you want to sit down and, and look at that, is there any benefit or reason why you might consider doing something like that? We give the other obvious ones. If you have mortgage insurance, if you have a rate probably over. 
four and three eighths or so, over, definitely over four and a half. I think the line's somewhere right around there. If you have a rate that's higher than that, if you have a mortgage insurance, if you have an adjustable rate loan, if you have a second, um, there's a, any of those reasons are worth just looking into it. See if the see if the math works out. Um, see if it makes sense to consider doing a refi. Um, the other television commercials tell you pay off your car, pay off your credit cards. We're not going to be so quick to suggest that you should do that. Um, you know, again, we can counsel you about that. But um, anyways, if you need any of that help at all, we'd love to hear from you. One number rings all of our offices. It's 543-LOAN, um, which is 543-5626. Uh, we're going to go ahead and do the first commercial break of the show. We'll be back in a few minutes here with more Mortgage Matters. Mortgage Matters with host Dan and Jason will be right back. Join the conversation by calling 543-8830 or 800-549-5832. Hi, this is Jason Grody of Central Coast Lending. There's a common myth that home buyers need to save a 20% down payment to buy a home. The fact is we offer numerous zero down and low down payment loan programs. Before you meet with a realtor, step one is to get pre-approved. Just call 543 Central Coast Lending is an equal housing lender. California BRE number 0183960008. California DBO number 6054783. NMLS number 328358. We're the mortgage experts on the Central Coast. Central Coast Lending. For those of us who live here on the Central Coast, we know this is a unique place to have a home. And for over 30 years, Patterson Realty has been a vital part of San Luis Obispo County. Patterson professionals have led the way in real estate by adapting to new market conditions to make sales happen. What they offer is the quality of their people, agents working just for you. Get the experts at Patterson Realty on your side. Experience the Patterson difference. Call 544-8662 or online at pattersonrealty.com. Through seven presidential administrations, bull and bear markets, and unprecedented change, Blakesley & Blakesley has been here helping residents of the Central Coast reach their financial goals. So if you need retirement advice beyond Social Security, want to roll over an old 401k, or simply seek guidance through an important financial decision, visit Blakesley & Blakesley in San Luis Obispo, Paso Robles, and Santa Maria. Blakesley & Blakesley, for the service you deserve and the advice you trust. Member FINRA and SIPC. Welcome back. You're listening to Mortgage Matters with hosts Dan and Jason from Central Coast Lending. If you want to join the conversation, call the show at 543-8830 or 800-549-5832. Now, here's Dan and Jason. Everybody, welcome back. It's just below before 9.30. You're listening to Mortgage Matters. We're glad you're here. 
we got about another hour and a half with you for our last show of September. I any just, big plans? You guys got any big plans for the day? It's a quiet day today. Yeah. In my household. Mm-hmm. Sweet. I'm improving upon the property of my house by painting it on the outside. Oh, Ooh. There it is. Spraying? Um, right now I'm doing the, doing the, trim. the eaves. Yeah. So that's the Pretty worst tedious. part. Yeah. So it's the up there with the little roller and the paintbrush. I don't love painting. I love I like it actually. It's therapeutic for you. Yeah. Mm-hmm. I dread it at first and then when I'm finally doing it, then I I can focus on it and it's mm-hmm. yeah, I, I find it that I'm I'm really into it. I generally have a rule that I don't paint. <laughs> um, that's usually my deal. Mm-hmm. The kids wanted their bedrooms painted and so I say, Yeah. Mm-hmm. We could do that, I guess. So this was a couple months ago, right? Take out the furniture, throw down some drop cloths. The ceilings are white, so we're basically doing the walls. And so get some high-quality blue painter's tape. Yeah, I find that. That stuff doesn't ever work. Yeah. It never gives a clean line. No. It looks awful. Yeah. (laughs) I find I'm better freehanding it. And even if the line's a little wavy, at least it's sharp. I, I don't I, like the fuzzy. I kind of like that too. Uh, like that too. So here's one of the things I saw. Yeah. Basically, what happens is the paint can't stick into the texture very well, mm-hmm. right? It's got little highs and lows. So yeah. no matter how well you stick the tape against it, there's a little spot where the paint can bleed under. Yeah, it. it's just so I was watching this YouTube video. This guy, I think he's like an ex marine, and he's talking about you know painting and. Basically, what he does is he he takes and runs a bead of caulk into the corner, white caulk, and just caulks the wall, wipes it out with his finger, so now he's filled caulk into all the highs and lows so that when he sticks the tape now to it, mm. it's taping against that hard caulked line, oh, and wow. so then when he paints and pulls it off, the line's brilliant. Well, okay. So that I'm makes like, sense. man, that's, I wish I'd have watched that video before I went and made all these awful bleeding paint lines all over the kids ceiling lines yeah i don't so now what now i'm supposed to now i'm supposed to go back and paint the ceilings white to fix these little yeah basically i'm like i'm glad it's not my room (laughs) 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 the blue painter's tape it doesn't want to stick to where you want it to stick to and then when you try to get it down oh my gosh it's strong it's strong because you got the paint sticking to it now so now you got to get up there and like, it, it's just annoying sometimes, mm-hmm. but it does help and some, cause it helps you keep paint off of things, but it doesn't give you the clean line. Though. Yeah. No. Yeah. I use it to like tape something off, like, you know, yeah. include some plastic and all that, but I don't yeah. use it for a, a, a nice clean line. No. It's not what I no. would use it for. Mm-mm. I kind of want to get one of those paint sprayers though. Mm-hmm. That seems like it'd be easier, but then you got to like prep everything by yeah, taping. Yeah, really got to prep for that. I don't know. I don't know. I just prefer to not paint. I think that's <laughs> my. Yeah, one of the boys came. So we have like hardwood in yeah. the entryway, and one of the boys was chasing the other one around the corner. You know, mm. of course I wasn't home because it's no. like you know we do have a. We have some pretty, we have a lot of rules in the house, as you could imagine. 
Um, you know, like no eating on the couch, no food in the bedroom. There's not, a, okay, not a lot of rules. These, I think, are reasonable rules. Well, especially when you got kids. Yeah. Mm-hmm. You know, no eating on the couch, no food in the bedrooms, turn a light off when you're not in a room, no running in the house. And then yeah. this one, a particular one that um, I would love to know was well enforced, but continues to be a problem. Mm-hmm. No throwing things in the house. Oh. It drives me nuts. And the worst thing is, you know, we have a yellow lab, so somebody's like, here, throws a ball. She scours across the floor, like feet no traction, you know, just burning out, scratching the floor. (laughs) Mm -hmm. And then I'm afraid, you know, now she's like six, so at some point she's going to break her leg trying to like scurry across the floor after a ball. Mm -hmm. Um, But yeah, so anyhow, the running and throwing things is always an issue. Mm-hmm. We just, this, we can't get through this, right? Well, so one boy's chasing the other boy, slips in socks on the hardwood, and knee goes through the drywall. Oh, good. Right. Awesome. Okay. My, I know how to repair that, but now I got to paint. So anyway. I'd, Plus, you have to repair the knee, too, don't you? Well, the knee was fine. Yeah. Okay. I think they were mostly freaked out about, you know, how I was going to react when I saw it. So. <laughs> Yeah, and it's a knee-sized hole in the wall, so there's no hiding it. So anyways, I repair the hole, and uh, go. the paint was like the same paint into the closet, so I went like above the closet door in the entryway and cut out a little like, of course, the previous owner didn't leave us any paint. So I cut out a little like postage-sized spot above the closet door inside the closet that matches the paint. So we go over to Home Depot, you know, they mm-hmm. color match it with their fancy pants computer things, and then you come home and touch it up and you can still see the difference. Doesn't even match. It's not even close. Because the other paint has faded. Yeah, ten years. Mm-hmm. Or gotten dirty or whatever. Yeah. So now you gotta paint the whole room. Or whatever. Whole yeah. Wall, <laughs> yeah. The whole wall, yeah. And then I'm like <laughs> Yeah. The paint it, basically, the whole in-house could you know, probably use paint if if yeah, we were yeah. a little more ambitious. And so now I'm just saying, yeah, I was just going to say that Melanie's going to say, you know, that room looks so good now because we just painted it, but the whole house now looks so drab. Yeah, so yeah. now you're going to wind up painting the whole house. I'm not. You know how <laughs> you know I wound up. Like you know the 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 lights always really uneven on that wall anyway uh, because it's like a bunch of different uh, windows kind of a shady wall with no direct light it looks a little bit like shadowy at times anyway you got to be looking for it to see that right and she's it's true. and she's like uh <laughs> like well that's how it looks now yeah what do you want to do next <laughs> yeah i i don't love painting I think Dan are on I kind of like it. I don't like the prep. I don't like the waiting. But when I'm actually painting, it's yeah. actually cool. It's actually fun. Because you can see, because Dan, because like, you can see like the difference. Right. You know, uh, especially on the outside of the house. I, I, inside too. I think there's yeah. no single better home improvement you can do to make your house look newer and fresher than painting. Sure. It clean. I mean, it's like the ultimate in cleaning your house. Right. (laughs) All those fingerprints and Mm -hmm. blemishes that get on your walls and stuff. They just, they're instantly vanish. Yeah. Well, Well, instantly. And the other thing is, is it's, it's a nice job that like when you're done at the end of the day, you can really see what you did. Yeah. Mm -hmm. Right. Mm -hmm. The only other, 
like construction related job that I ever felt so satisfied about. Like when you're at the end of the day, you step back and look at what you've done and you're like, I got that done today. Um, I remember when, um, when we would side houses cause it'd be in Tyvek for months, right? Like you'd get it all sealed up. Okay. That's good. But then the day you finally come and you, you side like you can side a, a pretty good portion of a home in a day. And so you'd side it up. And at the end of the day, when you're pulling away and you'd look at the house and go, oh man, you, we, like did, house, yeah, so yeah. we did that today. <laughs> it's nice to have those status. That's that like instant gratification. In mm-hmm. fact, I remember when I first got into the loan business being worried that, um, there's not oftentimes you don't really feel like you did anything today. I think that was a top a topic on many of our first episodes. Actually. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> but yeah, it's like I worked hard all day and then yeah. when I when I turn around and I walked away from my desk it looked just the same. Yeah, there's still papers and, you know, stapler and <laughs> all the stuff. Yeah. <laughs> the sun came up and went down and <laughs> That was that. I don't know what I did. I'm not sure what happened today. Well, at least today, though, when you're, you know, when you finally fund a loan, work on a loan for a few weeks or a month, sometimes a couple months, and then it funds and the borrowers get, they either bought their house or they did their refi, they did their debt consolidation, whatever they did. It's, you can feel a sense of accomplishment at that point, but yeah. you know, you got to work for a month to get that like two minute phone call. All right. Well, that one's done. <laughs> I guess we'll move to this next one that really needs me. So I got this email right now that I wanted to share with you. I wonder if this realtor listens to the show. I have no way of knowing really, because it's a new relationship for me, but, um, Essentially, I'm doing a loan. This is how it goes, right? Doing a loan for a gal uh, in process right now buying a house. And so she's at work and she's talking about it with her coworkers about how it's going. So the coworker turns to my borrower and says, sounds like I should call your guy. My bank is um, screwing this up. And so she said, yeah, you know, my lender's doing a great job and you probably really should call him. So she called me up and I said, well, what's going on? Um, she was working. I probably shouldn't say the name. Should I? It's not one of the majors. I won't, I won't do that. I, it's not, I don't want to defame anybody ever, but especially not like over the broad stage of the radio. But anyways, it's another local mortgage company. Okay. And she wants to buy a condo in San Luis, and her lender has told her that she couldn't offer on several of the condo projects around here because they didn't meet the requirements to be lendable. And then additionally... What does that mean? Okay. They're not HUD approved or... So two things. One was about her income, and I'll tell you about that in a minute, but another one was about the condo projects themselves. And so, yeah, without without getting way down into the details, I got to tell you guys, um, condo financing is a little bit tricky, right? And I guess let's talk about condos for a minute. Around here, um, we use lots of different words for how we describe property and people will call condos. So a condominium is 
a property where you own essentially the airspace inside your unit and you share the exterior of the buildings and all of the grounds with all of the other owners of the project, okay? Sounds funny, I know. That's the legal definition of it is that you have, you know, if it's a 64-unit condo complex, each owner has one sixty-fourth ownership of the project. The CCNRs, which are the, um, what are the CCNRs? The covenants? Codes and restrictions. Codes and restrictions. So these tell you what you can and can't do, right? You don't get to paint the exterior of your condo. Um, that's handled by the association. You don't get to um, put a couch on the front porch. They prohibit that. Um, there's all these rules about how the condo is to be used and, and um the exception like some like i have condos down the street from my house and they have a separate backyard so they could, could the exception be that you own the backyard too not necessarily um in sometimes in a condo mm -hmm. project they will mm -hmm. um fence off a backyard yeah. that's pretty uncommon and um mm -hmm. and you you kind of take us one step further which is to say that there are d slightly different projects, which are called a plan unit development or okay. a PUD. They mm -hmm. can look just mm -hmm. like a condo. Mm -hmm. They can have shared walls or not. Okay, this um, might be a different thing. They all look the same. They're painted the same. Mm -hmm. The landscaping's the same. Um, and that's uh, that's kind of one of the common sense things is if there's a backyard that's fenced in, mm -hmm. that's one of the first things that make me wonder if you're dealing with a pud instead of a condo. And one because of the things is... you own the land under which the property sits and if there's a backyard you own that just like your house own. just like your standalone house you have your own apn mm -hmm. with your lot line and you own where it is yeah you might share a wall or share a fence so you might have an hoa mm -hmm. you know and there, there might be common area within the, totally, the project yeah. there could be well, a pool and things like that these so these are all painted the same too so i think that's yeah part of it but it's so, just i noticed i seen Fence lines between each unit. Yeah. In the back. Around here, though, it's pretty common. We have condos and we have PUDs. There's not a whole lot else going on, is there? Well, depends what part of the country you're from, but other places have row houses and they've got um, townhomes. They've got apartments and co-ops. They've got different types of things. So we we hear a lot of terminology around here get radically misused. Um, but going back to the original point, when you're dealing with a condo, because the land is owned um, jointly amongst all of the owners, it's a little bit different setup legally. And for that reason, um, those loans are a little bit different. And if you want to get a government loan, like an FHA loan or a VA loan or a USDA loan, one of the loans we call govies, there's a list of condo approved projects. So in order to be on the list, you'll adhere to their requirements in terms of the kind of project insurance that the overall property carries. Um, the the budgeting and reserves the um, different things about the construction and warranties there's a lot that when you're talking about those government agencies saying you built a condo project out there in san Luis in accordance with our guidelines and you've met all of the requirements we'll call you 
a HUD approved condo project. Okay. And that means that any buyer or owner in there could use an FHA loan. Um, that project is known to be in compliance. Well, if it's not, if it doesn't have one of those approvals, then you can't use one of those loans in there pretty simply. So, uh, I'm sorry, Jason. What about a twin home? Because my family has a twin home and <laughs> love Arroyo. it. My family has a twin home in Arroyo Grande, down there by the where the old Victorian is. Right. So now, um, I think there 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 is like an HOA, although it's not that strong. But anyway, but so um, I but, this is. But I'm just wondering if those kind of things apply for that because so you do have a, a sheriff twin home. home. Yeah. Is not a legal status. Okay. A twin home is decided is a design style. Mm-hmm. Okay. And to me, when you say a twin home, what we have is a is a home that has a shared wall mm-hmm. with another home. Right. And the unit on the left and the unit on the right they're are flips. twins of one another. Yeah, right. Just flips. Yeah. yeah. Mm-hmm. So they they're um, they're symmetrical. Mm-hmm. Kind of like with that mirror in the middle. That's why we get the term twin home. But generally speaking, mm-hmm. twin home could be either a single family home yeah. that a zoning allows them to have uh, a shared wall and some joint maintenance agreement with the neighboring yeah. home. Or more commonly, it's a PUD, which is a planned unit development. Mm-hmm. And again, um, the PUD is ultimately the city or county has come up with the guidelines of what you could do with the PUD. It's a recognized legal property type. Mm -hmm. And then you could share a wall, establish an HOA. Mm -hmm. Um, And usually the reason it's a PUD and has an HOA and things like that managing it is Mm -hmm. um, in that twin home, let's say the owner of A and you're the owner of B, I'm the owner of A, you're the owner of B. And I come out and I say, hey, Jim, um, I have a leak in my dining room. And as you're aware, that roof is older and it's time for a new roof. So it's going to be 30,000 bucks and we're going to do it in November. And I'd like you to give me the 15,000 bucks um, by the second week of October. Yeah. And you're going to go. Well, mine's not leaking. You're out of your mind, Jason. <laughs> if it yeah. if it works, don't fix it. it sounds yeah. like you need a repair on your half. Right. That roof's got seven more years left in it, yeah. and you're like, and by the way, I'm planning on selling in three years, and that fifteen grand is not something I was thinking about yeah. spending. Yeah, so anyhow, the HOA would make that determination. Right. So they have a maintenance agreement. It's got right. reserves. Right. We pay into it every month. So exactly. the money's there over time. And so those, generally speaking, that that's what those kind of things are. Or mm. it's a condo, right? Yeah. Um, condos, you know, around here, sometimes we see two or three or four unit condos. Those are kind of uncommon. It was getting popular right before the recession, before it went away. Mm. Um so, but anyhow, I, I love you asking that question because it's, again, another example of, like I was saying, people talk about townhomes and row homes and mirrored, uh, all these different twin mm-hmm. homes. And those are, those are oftentimes inaccurate in terms of the actual legal description of the property. Yeah. Yeah. Um, you know, chances are it's a PUD. 
Mm-hmm. Um, if I had, if this was Jeopardy, that would be my final answer. Yeah. Um, but there is ultimately a legal description and a legal classification, and we can figure that out for sure. And it's critical. Mm-hmm. Okay. So going back over to this condo thing, um, of all of the condo projects that are around in our county, very few of them maintain a HUD approval. So it's unfortunate. First-time homebuyers love to use an FHA loan, and they're also looking for entry-level housing. The most affordable homes in town are oftentimes a condo. So if it's not... A HUD-approved condo project, you cannot use an FHA loan in the project. You also have to look at the, I mean, maybe I'm wrong here. You have to, yeah, they might be affordable somewhat, but then you also look, you have to pay fees and dues. Right. So on top of your payment every month, are you going to have those dues, which make it more than what you would pay for just a conventional home? So I'm curious how you're able to do something different for these yeah i want potential buyers kind of we covered a lot of ground so i kind of want to restate the original um this gal is working with another lender they're not allowing her to write offers on projects that she wants condos that she's interested in um and so i look at that right and it was funny when she called me she said so my coworker jessica said i should call you because She's having a really easy time buying a condo and I want to buy a condo and it's not going well. My lender says that all of the ones I like, he can't lend on. So I said, okay, well tell me more. And she said, well, there's one over on Southwood. And so, um, I thought about Southwood and you know, we've had Bruce Freeberg on the show a few times. So I called up Bruce said, Bruce, don't you have a listing on Southwood and the condos? And he said, I do. So I said, is there anything about that HOA that's a problem? Um, litigation or construction defects or something like really major? And he said, there's not. He said, the big deal is um, that there's too many investment properties in the condo project um, for some lenders. Mm. So I kind of laugh a little bit. I scratch my head because um, here's the deal. And I, I know this intimately because I used to be an underwriter. So my, I've had my head in the guidelines for a good long time. Um, when you're dealing with a condo, there are two types of reviews that we do on condominium projects. One's called a limited review and one's called a full review. Now, here's the quick and dirty. This is, this is pretty loose, but if you're doing an owner-occupied purchase nine times out of 10, you're going to get a limited review. Okay. The limited review is there's a condo questionnaire, um, but we don't care about occupancy of the individual units. We don't care about that at all. It's doesn't even, it doesn't matter if it's 0% owner occupied. It doesn't matter on a limited review. What we're looking for is those big things. Litigation being the primary one. Is anyone suing anyone in here? Are there construction defect problems? Is the HOA solvent? You know, are the, are the members of the HOA paying their dues? If that stuff's okay, the occupancy doesn't matter. That's a done deal. If you are on a full review, now there's an occupancy requirement, and and here's the deal: and it has to be usually fifty percent, yeah, or more, or owner, more owner occupied. And here's the deal: um, condos are a little bit riskier, like I've said earlier. 
Um, and so well, this is why we even care about these things is we want to make sure that we're making a prudent decision. Um, in a recession where things get really tough, um, people let go of investment properties at a, at a greater rate than they let go of their primary residence. When I say let go, not pay the mortgage and it goes through short sale or foreclosure. Okay. You're more likely to pay the payment that keeps the roof over your head than to pay a payment to keep a roof over your tenant's head where you don't have the money. Okay. So because of that, when we evaluate whether or not we want to make a loan in a condo complex, well, Condos are tricky because if there's 20 units in the condo complex and 18 of them are investment properties and we have a recession and of the 18, nine of them go into foreclosure, well, that's a problem. If we've made a loan in there, we don't want to get caught in that mess. Likewise, if there's a condo project, there are 20 units in it and 18 of them are owner occupied, you'd agree that's a different story, right? Mm -hmm. Well, now I feel like if there's a recession, we probably aren't subject to the same types of losses and I'm not scared about that. So I make the loan. So in this case, that Southwood project has greater than 50% investment property in the condo. So when do you get the limited review versus the full review? from an underwriter? When when do they condition for one versus the other? You run an automated <laughs> underwriting engine. So f both Fannie Mae and Freddie Mac have one. And so you run the engine. It tells you if you get a limited or a full review on day one. And okay. if that doesn't change, by the way, during the during the process. Is it usually dependent on credit score? Is it dependent on how much down payment you're making? No. Or? Okay. Because you in those re regards, you qualify or you don't. Okay. You have the credit it takes to buy the condo or you don't. That's not a blurred line. And down payment doesn't matter? Down payment doesn't matter. It it hinges on occupancy. If you're buying this owner-occupied, um, and, and I think this makes some sense, is that um, you're not going to be quite the risk of default in the event of a recession. And if I'm Fannie Mae or Freddie Mac, I want to make it easier for owner-occupied people to buy in here. And so you give them a limited review and you just, you basically are crossing your fingers and hoping that it goes well. So a primary residence will usually or always get a limited review? Most of the time. I'm going to say, um, I'm not going to say always because these Fannie Mae and Freddie Mac's automated underwriting engines are using algorithms that have got years and years and years. I mean, we're talking Fannie Mae's side, you've got 40, 50, 60 years worth of data in the engine. Okay. And now it's starting to realize about addresses. Hey, we've had problems in that condo complex before. Um, and so you'll see sometimes where it should be giving you a limited review and it's asking you for a full review. And it's because something about that neighborhood or that individual project has the system spooked. So you ran the automated, got a limited review. The other bank must have either assumed it was going to get a full review. couple or things. Number one. Oftentimes, lenders don't want to honor the limited review, so they do what we call an overlay, a conservative overlay, where they say, you know what, you're eligible for a limited review, but we don't do that. We're going to make you meet the requirements of a full review, thereby cutting you you know, out of all these properties. So um, either that, that's one option. Second option is the loan officer doesn't know what he's doing. He doesn't have the the history um, and experience of working with condos to say, 
oh, well, I need what I need to do is run it, and if you get a limited review, the occupancy won't matter, so let me do some work, and I'll get back with you, um, by the way, which is what I did. And she said, this doesn't work here, and I said, okay, why? She said, well, he said it had to do with the occupancy. Okay, so I called Bruce. Bruce, is there anything else in the condo complex I need to worry about? Construction defects, litigation, any problem like that? He said, no. Problem is with the occupancy. So I explained this to Bruce. Well, she's buying an owner-occupied unit, so if I run the automated, it says she can have a limited review. Occupancy doesn't matter. And he said, cool, let me know. So I call the borrower back. I explain this to her. I run the automate, and wouldn't you know it, I get a limited review. So I call the borrower. I said, hey, I got a limited review. If you want to offer on that Southwood property, you can. So she said, okay. And I had explained enough to her that she felt confident in it, right? So today, sitting here, I get an email from her new realtor. She fired her old realtor. She gets a new realtor and says, um, we're going to be writing an offer this weekend. I want to be sure that the approval letter states that you're not concerned about owner-occupancy ratios and that one owner more, owns more than 10% of the units. Most lenders have trouble with that, so the agent is asking for prequal letters from only lenders who know they can lend in there. And so I think it's kind of funny is that even these agents have this preconceived notion about what the requirements are or aren't, and now they make these things. So basically now I'll be writing a letter that says um, – I can't, I can't be cynical and say, you know, this is in perfect accordance with the rules because it gets a limited review. You know, you guys are assuming it won't, but anyhow, um, this is another really good example. And in this case, the reason it mattered so much is that this gal lives and works in slow and she wants to stay in slow and she can only qualify for like a $370,000 condo. So, being that a bunch of the projects she was being told she couldn't even consider was driving her into some of the other ones that were more expensive. And so um, sometimes the lender that you're working with is giving you information that's putting you in a damaging position. And this is case in point of that. So, Well, and your um, underwriting background gives you unique knowledge that a lot of loan officers simply don't have. And that's the kind of But they expertise. can if they study well, sure. hard and right. <laughs> look at guidelines. Hey, guys, it's time for the top of the hour breaks. So we're about five minutes where we're going to be out thanking the sponsors and getting updates. And then we'll be back for a whole other hour of Mortgage Matters. And we hope you will, too. You're tuned in to Mortgage Matters, which airs every Saturday from 9 a.m. to 11 a.m. Your hosts, Dan and Jason from Central Coast Lending, want you to join the conversation by calling 800-549-5832. Now, back to the show. It's been one week since you looked at me. Cocked your head to the side and said I'm angry. Five days since you laughed at me. You're saying get back together, come back and see me. Three days is the living room. I realized I saw my fault but couldn't tell you. Yesterday, you'd forgiven me. But it'll still be two days till I say I'm sorry. Hold it now and watch a hood wink. Does it make you stop think? You'll think you're looking at Aquaman. I summon fish to the dish. Although I like the Shally Swiss, I like the sushi. Cause it's never touch a frying pan. Hot like wasabi when I bust rhymes. Big like Leanne rhymes. Because I'm all about value. Bert Camper's got the mad hits. You try to match wits. You try to hold me but I bust through. Can I make a break and take a pick? I like a stink and they can shake out like vanilla. It's the finest of the flavors. Gonna see the jokers and you'll know the vertigo is gonna go. Cause it's so dangerous. You'll have to sign a waiver. How can I help it if I think you're funny when you're mad? Trying hard not to smile though I feel bad. I'm the kind of guy. 
Alright everybody, welcome back. I feel like all that condo talk was awfully technical, wasn't it? Yeah, but it's good. I, I think you you made it understandable. There, you know, because like you said, you got there's realtors out there that are they have a, a loose understanding of how the qualification works on a condo and they're advising clients, but th- they might not understand some of the finer points where you can avoid occupancy issues or or that. So it's it's good to educate the the regular homeowner, the buyer as well, so that they can, you know, have a, be armed with a little information going into that as well. It's funny though, when you know how to do, how to kind of lurk around in the guidelines and do things that other people say they can't do, you immediately are like treated as though you're the, the yes man that's about to waste everyone's time and they're mm-hmm. all going to be disappointed later. Right. Yeah. A lot of skepticism. Yeah. And I get that because I've been on the other end of that for sure. Happened just yesterday, in fact. There's a duplex down in Grover Beach for sale. And it's getting quite a bit of attention because it's a pretty nice property. And um, here's the rub. It's a real duplex. It's a real two-unit property. you know. And I'm saying it that way because oftentimes in slow, in slow county, it's a single family residence with like a guest house out back, right? Or above the garage or something like that. That's not a duplex. A true two unit property has generally it's zoned for multifamily. It's got two water meters to the property. It's got two legally recognized addresses. Um, and it's, as a two-unit property, it's going to be underwritten as a two-unit property. Uh, like you mentioned earlier, yeah, Jim. About, uh, is there a difference between that and the twin home duplex? Um, or is that kind of a fine line thing? Or On the twin home, mm-hmm. no. If you if it's a duplex, mm-hmm. okay. So, And again, that's why I think twin home is not a legally recognized definition. So I'm combating a little bit about this the kind of street slang of how we refer to properties. Mm. Um, But on a duplex, if there's a water meter to each side, Mm. they're on one lot and one APN. Mm -hmm. They have two separate addresses and one owner owns both of them. Mm. Um, That's a duplex. That's a two unit property and it it gets treated as such. It's underwritten as a duplex. It's priced as a two unit property. Um, it, it, everything about it, it, it functions as a two unit property. Oh. The, one of the reasons this is critical is that the, the maximum loan to value on a two unit property is 75%. Okay. So if you want to buy one of these and use yeah. a Fannie Mae or Freddie Mac loan, yeah. you have to make a 25% down payment. Yeah. But if it's a single family with a guest house, mm-hmm. Minimum down payment's only 3%, Hmm. most commonly 5%. Hmm. So yesterday I got a phone call from um, somebody said, I'm shopping you, comparing you over to this other lender, um, and they're allowing me to buy this investment property with just 15% down. And I said, wait a minute. They've made a mistake. And he said, 
what do you mean? And I said, that two unit property requires a 25% down payment and there's no way around that if it's an investment property. So well, that's not what my lender told me. So I said, well, here, you need to go back and talk to your lender and pin them down to the accuracy of this or not. And it's either, you know, they're either going to acknowledge that they made a mistake or they've got access to some crazy proprietary program that is not a Fannie Mae or Freddie Mac loan, which I guess is possible. But then the interest rates and terms are going to be different than that of like a conventional loan. So it goes both ways. Um, it's a it's a double-edged sword for sure where somebody thinks they can do something somebody else can't, and now all of a sudden you're under scrutiny. Um, but who knows? I'll tell you what, though. Condos are the spot where um, loan officer inexperience seems to play out the most to me is um, condos, there's ins and outs to the HOA, the type of loan program and whether or not you get a limited or a full review. And it just, those are the ones that I think are a hotbed for inexperience. And so you know what's easier? Um, saying no. <laughs> um, Dan, there you remember back at our Cameron Financial days? Mm-hmm. There's a lot, th- a lot of things about one of the owners of that company that um, I didn't love, but there's some things he told me that have forever stuck with me, Yeah, and um, that was one of them, is that in lending, especially when the decision gets difficult or you're required to do a lot of homework and, and make a determination that's a difficult one, um, anybody can say no. That's the easy out. No, just get another property. That that's not that one's not going to work out. Because otherwise, I got to have some technical knowledge. I got to have some confidence in my ability. I have to be able to to stand up for my decision and and be able to defend and win. Um otherwise, I can just I can just say no and you can do something else. And um gosh, I I ran in I've run into that sentiment so much in my mortgage career is that it's just easy for people to say no. Here's the other interesting thing about that same borrower. She has money in um, Edward Jones, some you know mutual funds, but also some retirement accounts. And um, he was he was wanting to have her set up a living trust to be able to make disbursements to be able to qualify. And I looked at all that, and she, one of the things she said to me is, "I don't want to do a living trust. I don't. I'm not interested in getting that complicated today." And I said, "Well, you don't have to do that either. You, if you make this down payment um, out of that money, then the debt to income ratio would allow you to go up to a 50 percent debt to income ratio, really." Um, and I think whatever that other lender was doing, he wasn't able to go that high of a debt to income ratio either. So he was doing some interesting footwork to try to get her to set up a living trust in order to be able to make distributions that would count as income. Oh man, that's a, that's a crafty angle to work. I've never been a part of that dialogue before. So kind of fascinating. Um, 
Dan has newsprint on his <laughs> desk, you guys. So where did you find your newspaper this week? You know, ever since I complained a few weeks ago, no. I started getting my newspaper delivered on a daily basis. Yeah. There is. Um, Funny thing, you so pay for something you want, right? Squeaky wheel Get the grease. gets the grease. I had the same problem, Dad, so yeah. don't feel bad. Some manager was like, look. Yeah, I'm this sick guy of... calls me, and I'm sick of talking. <laughs> yeah. Can we fix this problem? So they fixed it. Mm-hmm. And yeah, it was nice. This week, um, there was an interesting article. It was um, talking about Chair Janet, Federal Reserve Chair Janet Yellen uh, did a, what was this? This was a speech in Cleveland at the National Association for Business Economics. It's an annual conference there. And what was interesting is this um, wasn't necessarily talking about the most recent Fed decision. It was really talking about inflation and inflation being one of those things that we've heard about a lot. You know, through the housing downturn, through the recession, it was all about housing and jobs. How do we how do we restore confidence in housing? How do we um, bring jobs back, you know, get this unemployment rate below 10 percent, get people working again? Well, over the course of 10 years, we've made headway on both those fronts, significant headway. And, and now the main theme of all these Fed um, decisions and press conferences that follow is surrounding inflation. Yeah, it's been that way for a few years now. And it's been... You inflation know, has been stubbornly low. Which has afforded them to keep interest rates low and keep this really accommodative... Um, policy in place. And, yeah, and so why don't you talk a little bit about the relationship between the two? I mean, usually we use monetary policy <clears throat> to um, increase or decrease inflation, right? Yes, and so the Fed has just a few objectives. They're, you know, they're um, they use interest rate, the the Fed funds rate, and interest rates in general to promote maximum employment. And to stabilize prices, that's really their their two objectives. Um, and w- with respect to stabilizing prices, their their goal is to keep prices at an annual price increase of approximately two percent. And you might wonder, well, what's wrong with just keeping prices flat? You know, why do we want things to even go up? That's well, not good in capitalism, right? The problem there is that chronically low inflation will depress economic growth because consumers don't feel an urgency to go out and spend their money. They feel like if they, there's no urgency because if I, um, if I wait till tomorrow to buy, you know, whatever product I might need, um, it's going to be the same price tomorrow. So there's no urgency to buy it today. In fact, if inflation is so low, in fact, that it might even be negative, you know, it might even be cheaper tomorrow. So, um, in, you know, putting all this money out there, you know, a lot of people talk about printing money and, you know, that's essentially what's happened over the last 10 years with the increase in the debt, the increase in the fed balance sheet. There's all this new, this, this extra money out in, in the world or in the, in the United States that should in theory devalue the value devalue the dollar which would lead to higher inflation but what we have not seen that pull through um in the feds they they look at a not the core cpi they look at a different number it's called cpe um but that's their inflation index that they've been looking at and it it looked like it was on target it looked like it was um 
it was at 2% towards the beginning of the year. It was right in line with their goals. That was good. They could start to roll back some of their accommodative policy. But since the beginning of the year, the index that they look at is actually fallen. It's now reading closer to 1.4%. And they're kind of baffled. And that was really the point of this speech that she was making is that we might need to reassess what we're looking at because we might not be looking at the right things anymore. You know, what's interesting too, is that I spent quite a bit of time yesterday and I suspect others did too, but hearing about the proposed tax plan, right. That's Mm -hmm. going before the Senate. And one of the things that was, um, you know, I, I think it was a Republican representative from Nebraska that was on to talk about, you know, why he thought for his constituency that this tax plan was a, was a good one, a shot in the arm. And, you know, one of the things that they were citing was that um, capital expenses made by businesses could be written off in the same tax year as opposed to depreciated over the next five years. So, like you were saying, this, how do we get people, how do we drive up GDP? Well, we got to get people to spend money. And um, they're... One of the ways we've tried to get you to spend money is by not offering you a savings rate. <laughs> right? You know, things continue to get more expensive um, slightly, but we're not going to pay you to save money in the bank. So here you go. Go out and spend that money. Go enjoy. Get it. Get yourself a new car. Get yourself a cheap TV. There's no point in savings. If interest rates were higher, you know, five, six, seven percent then you would likely be saving some money. Well, when interest rates are that high, inflation is running high, things are very expensive. And so then the Fed with those higher interest rates is incenting you to slow down your buying. Stop fueling this fire of driving up prices with that demand. Um, Put money in the bank, save money to reduce that inflationary pressure and calm things down. So it's interesting, too, I think that this is part of um, at least the sales pitch from the GOP about what their tax plan might mean is basically trying to get people to step out and spend money, trying to get businesses to be able to go reinvest money. Um, You know, we could end up in a nice, long, healthy debate today about whether those things actually achieve those long-term economic goals, but... um, Anyhow, that I think is interesting. It's at play in the same week that Janet Yellen is going out and saying, hey, inflation has not only been stubborn, but it's um, based on the metrics we're reviewing. It's not doing even what we expect it to do. And now we have to question whether we're reading the data correctly or not. Um, And they've long predicted that inflation would soon begin to rise you know oh gosh we've been talking about it rising for years now they they've been predicting and, and this it makes sense it makes rational sense that um you know as as labor the labor markets start to solve themselves you know as, as people as we approach full employment then you're going to start to see employers increase wages to attract yeah, but Dan, employers, and then that's going to lead I've to lied inflation. A, I've lied awake happening. at night thinking about this, and let's talk about this for a minute. Why isn't that happening? Well, ordinarily, maybe we haven't completely reached full employment. I'm going to argue that it has more to do with technology and the internet. Sure. Is that there's not quite the same framework for people to be able to increase prices arguably the way they need to. You know, I was talking about this this week with a friend of mine, actually, that's a chiropractor. Um, there's a few gyms in town where you can go for, you know, like, um, 
really good training, you know, one-on-one type of training or small group training, the cost of these things is like 300 bucks a month, 200 to 300 bucks a month. They can get expensive, right? When you look at the fact, well, wow, uh, you know, I thought this Smith gym down on the corner at 60 bucks a month was a lot. And I'm going, oh man, I'm at, you know, I'm at 24 hour fitness for $9 a month. Um, there's this whole scope of what those prices are, right? Well, I think in today's economy, in order to, to bring a quality product to market, um, you, you almost are going to struggle with getting the price that it really takes to be able to sell that because it's so easily shopped with the online retailers that are having sales and free shipping and hassle free returns. Um, I think some of these businesses that otherwise would have been able to have increased prices are stuck now competing because you're not competing with the other sporting goods store in your town. You're now competing with international internet sporting goods stores. You're that, competing with Amazon. You're competing. Well, and they've yeah. got, yeah. And by way of this inexpensive shipping, they've got, and they do bulk shipping discounts. They've got ability now um, to be competitive in markets that uh, otherwise I think inflation would have just happened. It would have caught on, you know, and, and, and otherwise. So I think there's a technological component to this today that is making it harder than ever before. And here's the other thing. As consumers. Well, making, are you saying that technology is making business more efficient and, you know, cost to operates lower so they don't have to raise prices? Is that kind of the almost the opposite that um, they need to be able to raise prices to pay better wages, to make better the, products and make better deals. But the way but we, the, shop, is the way we keep... shop is forcing their margins ever slimmer. I see. Yeah. And, and I also think that, um, and by the way, that gets pretty difficult to measure, um, you know, cause what did, what was the markup of a, of a football in 1970 versus a football today? And I can almost guarantee you that down at your local sporting goods store in town, in my town, in my town, in big bear, um, it's like Alpine sporting goods. You could go get a football from Jim. And I think today, and that football was probably marked up, I would guess 20%, you know, Today, how much do they mark up a football? I'm guessing it's probably they're happy if they can make 3 or 5% on that markup. So those pressures, I think, are difficult to measure, but definitely playing into this thing. Um, and the other thing is that as consumers, um, well, now we know, hey, you in the market for a new TV, Dan? You don't need to just walk on down um, to the local store where we're going to look at uh, – how many TVs they have and which colors are the best. Here's what you're going to do. You're going to sit down and start reading consumer reports and doing some research. Now you're going to open up the Google and click the shopping tab. And I can see across the internet where this product is offered and for how much. Um, I might even call a friend that works at Best Buy. Say, hey, Pat, what's going on with the price of TVs? And say, you know, Jim, you should wait for Labor Day. <laughs> Labor Day is when those things are going to be 30% less. And you go, oh, I can wait till Labor Day. I just was, it was just a wish list. I got, a, I got a 42 and I'm wanting a 55. I got a, yeah. I got a plasma and I'd love that new high quality LCD or whatever. <laughs> I can wait. It's called a loss leader, isn't it? Sure. I mean, and I was uh, back to your football here really quick, but um, 
you know, the, the part of the problem with some of the big stores right now is, and I'm not going to mention anything, but, uh, they'll run a loss leader maybe on a football because they want to get you into the door for something else. Right. So they're into like that, you know, the football season. Yeah. Oh, we're going to have footballs for this amount. And then, uh, but let's talk about these millennials though. Yeah, they're going to exactly. go into your store mm-hmm. to buy your super cheap football. Yeah. Cause that was the loss leader that got them in the door. Yeah. And then they go, Hey, look at that. Uh-huh. Whatever it is, right? Yeah, yeah. You know, the Beats headphones. That's yeah, what you exactly. got next to it. And they look yeah. at the Beats headphones and they go, man, I, those are sweet. Mm-hmm. I got a plane trip next month. I really always wanted those. I I never thought I would spend 300 bucks on some headphones. But, they put them on and you hear them and you're like, these are awesome. But then you pull out your smartphone. No, I pull out my yeah. smartphone yeah. and I go over to the Amazon app and I open up the reader and then I scan the barcode and I go, look at that. 50 mm-hmm. bucks cheaper on Amazon. Yeah. And now because I scanned them on Amazon, the next day I open up my Facebook to check out my ex-girlfriend. <laughs> and you got Beats And I got an ads. ad over here that's <laughs> even 50 bucks cheaper because they knew I didn't pop on the impulse. I saw it somewhere. I then saw it cheaper on Amazon. Well, now I need to be advertised yeah. to. I'm yeah. interested in it, but I didn't buy it right away. Yeah. And you want to know what's even better? Yeah. I put it in my cart. And then I go, yeah. eh. I'm not yeah. going to check out. And I walk away. Yeah. And then the next day, like, I get an email from the, that store saying, you know, Jason, we realized that you threw this stuff in your cart and you didn't buy it. And we just we want to offer you a 10% discount if yeah. you go back and you buy it. And so yeah. I go, huh, check that out. Yeah. So I'm incented now as a savvy consumer to shop around looking for the lowest price. And then if you know what you're doing – throw it in the cart and wait, and then they'll email you uh, some enticing offer to make it cheaper yet. How many of these things are bugging GDP? These are tough things. Um, those are hard to measure things. These are things that your parents and grandparents weren't dealing with as a consumer, and our Fed doesn't have the metrics to count that yet. So there's a lot of those things that are, um, I think, playing into all this. It makes it feel complicated. And by the way, these are the things that make me think that we're addicted to low interest rates and we need this accommodative environment um, because we may not be seeing that. Where's inflation happening? It's happening in your health care. It's happening in housing. It's happening in housing. Those are your two biggest bills. And as yeah, long as easily. you're contending with those and they're difficult for you, guess what? Cable and internet keeps going up. I know. That doesn't get cheaper. It's, yeah, but it's darn near optional. How much are we paying for it's gasoline now? Gasoline's expensive. Yeah. Energy costs are expensive. Your heating yeah. bills are expensive. Your utilities so are... All the big stuff. Your utilities that's are where, going up pretty regularly, aren't they? Yeah. I mean, it seems like every opportunity... You know, the PG&E is changing the deal about the tiers or what's included or how I'm getting hammered for being a family of five. The water bill, same thing. You know, their base services or the gallons are going down and the price is going up and those tiers that are, and I get it, they're incenting us to use less and stuff, but those are things that are getting more expensive. Cars um, cost more. Yeah. I but mean, you can get 0% financing right. on a 10-year loan today, so... But so many things, yeah, are more expensive. Except inflation continues continues to read these low numbers. So the other thing about inflation, too, I know we've talked about this for years on the show, but 
Look at that little carton of ice cream now. Thing's getting cute. Bar of soap now. It's got a like a some sort of curve in it. Like it's yeah. it's got an articulated design to make it. I would suppose it's harder to drop, or maybe it hugs the contour of my elbow better. However, I'm smart less, enough to realize you less you, soap. <laughs> you carved thirty percent of the soap out of the back of that thing to lay that yeah. curve in there. Yeah, yeah. You know, so there's all these little things uh-huh. that. Um, and I think it's really because manufacturers and retailers are struggling to compete with this technological age we live in where we as consumers are we're driving things into the dirt. Well, I mean, it's we, so uh, easy to shop and it's instant. Like you said, you scan a barcode in the store and you can already find the five closest locations where it's sold and what price it's sold for at each of those yeah. locations. Have you, yep. no, have you noticed? I just noticed this the other day. Water, The bottled water. Yeah. They'll be the same height. Oh, sure. But one is slightly skinnier. Yeah. Or those little dimples, uh-huh. the shape or whatever right. could save exactly. them 10% so, like, on product. I'm not sure of the, pro- the the actual brand, but it's the same height as one, another one. But it's the same yeah, but price. You know what? If you it's go the on same a, price, but you it's know, skinnier. You know you can buy bottles of water on Amazon. Slightly. Yeah. Oh, well. That's laughable but, to me, but you can't. In California, you can. And you know what, too? It'll tell you what the price <laughs> yeah. per ounce is yeah. so that you can be well-informed. Yeah. Grinding out that deal at all times. Mm-hmm. Pretty wild. Um, now, let's do a commercial break. We got uh, just after 10.30 here. Um, we're going to do a quick commercial break, take some time out to thank the sponsors, and we'll be back uh, with more Mortgage Matters. Mortgage Matters with host Dan and Jason will be right back. Join the conversation by calling 543-8830 or 800-549-5832. Hi, this is Jason Grody of Central Coast Lending. There's nothing like the euphoric feeling you get when you find the perfect home. The last thing you want is the embarrassment of discovering you don't qualify. It can actually cost you your deposit. Before you meet with a realtor, step one is to get pre-approved. Just call 503-LOAN. Lending is an equal housing lender. California BRA number 018-39608. DBO number 6054783. MLS number 328-358. We're the mortgage experts on the Central Coast. Central Coast Lending. For those of us who live here on the Central Coast, we know this is a unique place to have a home. And for over 30 years, Patterson Realty has been a vital part of San Luis Obispo County. Patterson professionals have led the way in real estate by adapting to new market conditions to make sales happen. What they offer is the quality of their people, agents working just for you. Get the experts at Patterson Realty on your side. Experience the Patterson difference. Call 544-8662 or online at pattersonrealty.com. Through seven presidential administrations, bull and bear markets, and unprecedented change, Blakesley and Blakesley has been here helping residents of the Central Coast reach their financial goals. So if you need retirement advice beyond Social Security, want to roll over an old 401k, or simply seek guidance through an important financial decision, visit Blakesley and Blakesley in San Luis Obispo, Paso Robles, and Santa Maria. Blakesley and Blakesley, for the service you deserve and the advice you trust. Member FINRA and SIPC. You're listening to Mortgage Matters on KVEC News Talk 920. If you missed any part of the show, log on to centralcoastlending.com for archived shows and more. Now, back to your hosts, Dan and Jason from Central Coast Lending.
All right, everybody, welcome back. So, we've been talking a little bit about uh, inflation and, and, you know, maybe the new the new economy here. Um, our Fed has to catch up on how they gather and interpret this data, what data sources they're using. Um, there's a, there's a few things here to talk about in terms of housing that I'd like to share with you. Um, first of all, S and P, the case Schiller home price index came out this week. Um, the 20 city index showed that, um, we had a price increase year over year of 5.9%, which was up from the prior month. Uh, so this was July that was red. June was up 5.8%. So showing that the price is still in the 20-city composite, which is attempting to take a broad brushstroke across the entire country and feel like what the in, – in the major composite, what are we looking at in terms of price appreciation? Well, there you have it. It's a, it's a touch under 6% and growing – um, it'll be interesting to track that through the, the summer and fall, uh, because, you know, obviously that's home buying season. These, the S and P has a two month lag. And so looking back a couple months at, um, the brightest spots though, Seattle, Portland, and Las Vegas all into the double digits. Those markets are hot, man. I remember a few years back looking at that Las Vegas market, just thinking that was a place where you probably could have bought and made some real money. And now boy, is that true that, uh, took a lot longer for that area though to pull out of the, it did, but their uh, cuts were so deep. They were, I mean, there was, there was parts of Las Vegas where 70, 80% drop in value. Yeah. Uh, we just didn't see that around here. And so, yeah, I would, I would suggest that where those cuts are so deep that the recovery is going to take longer because you're, you got to have like um, some real confidence when you're going to hop into that market that things are going up and where you catch that falling knife. I mean, when they were down 50%, what if you bought then only to find out they're falling another 20%? Mm-hmm. Brutal. Um, we also saw um, August new home sales. So this is brand new construction. Uh, new home sales... Unfortunately, the reading came out this week right on the tail of the hurricane. Um, The sales numbers showed that we're at an eight-month low. Um, However, the little asterisk in here is that 65% of the data for Texas and Florida was even collected. Um, Hmm. Ordinarily, response rate between Texas and Florida is upwards of 95%. So that just tells us that some of those areas were literally unable to report and not able to kick out the data. So I, I suspect that's one to take with a grain of salt moving forward. We'll, we'll see what that means. By the way, the Fed in their announcement last week um, talked about the hurricane just a little bit and said the hurricanes, I should say, and ultimately said that um, there's not too much um, – implication in terms of like GDP and long-term effect because history has shown us that um, these types of storm-related things happen to be short-lived and not 
they don't have a lasting effect. And so um, that that at least was was how the Fed decided to discuss that. Um, we also got a reading this week on pending home sales. So this is an important measure. This is a measure of how many contracts there are that are uh, written between two parties but not yet closed. So this um, is a uh, kind of a precursory reading of what will be um, home sales for next month. But pending home sales contracts fell 2.6% month over month. Um, there was a 5% decline in the previous month over month period, uh, which was July. So compared to last year, sales volume is 3.1% lower. Um, and so again, this is a this is a gauge of the pipeline of what will become existing home sales. Uh, and when these metrics are falling like this, this is again um, proof of an inadequate supply level. Likewise, suggesting that we're going to continue to see um, price appreciation. I mean, as a simple supply and demand, this is your econ one A. Um, back in freshman year where we're learning about supply and demand, as long as the supply continues to decline and demand remain constant, we see price increases. So that's a, um, you know, continued upward pressure on real estate prices. We don't understand quite where that equilibrium is going to be struck yet, but um, no end in sight. I think once you begin to see the volume of sales picking up a little bit, longer marketing times, you'll begin seeing um, more pending transactions, start to see the trend change a little bit on itself. But we're like, we're like hitting 30 months on all these metrics of um, 30 months of just strong numbers that all point to why home prices continue to increase. Um, likewise, this week, there was a couple of other pieces of economic data. Consumer confidence slipped a little bit, um, reversing two months of gains. Seems like the consumer um, is largely uh, losing confidence due to the hurricanes and in ramifications of that. Um, they're obviously, if you guys are, I'm sure you've seen it too, but um, seeing the, the devastation, especially in Puerto Rico, it looks... I mean, it's dumbfounding. Kind of like when I step into my eight-year-old's room at the end of the week and it's such a mess and I'm like, I don't even know where we start. I think we got to put a trash can in the middle of the room and just start purging things. I feel like that's what Puerto Rico looks like or another. Agriculture has been wiped mm. out. Infrastructure has been wiped out. Electricity um, can be so long before it's restored. I remember during the hurricane, they were saying it could be six to 12 months before they had hurt, any energy restored. And now, mm. um, you know, you're hearing a lot of criticism of the White House because these boats are sitting in port full of supplies with no way of getting them out. But right. the big trouble is they don't have like the electrical grid to be able to communicate even to the truckers or to get the truckers out on the road that it's the whole breakdown right. of all of that infrastructure that has them not knowing how to organize and get that stuff out to the street all of those things are causing a decline in consumer confidence and i'd say rightfully so yeah i was going to ask you because you were kind of saying a lot about florida and texas and uh, i'm just wondering you know someplace like when we do have a uh, disaster on a protector at like Puerto Rico or maybe Guam or American Samoa, the Virgin yep, Islands. Yep. How does that kind of come into play with that? 
Well, you got to remember, I mean, those are, look at the resources that are going down there. There's a, uh-huh. there's a ton of money being spent yeah. and, um, you know, and, and I think probably most people agree that mm. it's less about the money and more about the fact that these are, I mean, these are Americans and yeah, here. exactly. And these are people that, you know, we care for and, and want to see doing well. It's tough. You know, I was watching a, one of the, um, Governor in Puerto Rico was talking about a place where a single water truck showed up in a place that hasn't had any fresh water at all yeah. in two weeks now. Mm-hmm. 60,000 people coming up so to try to get water, water out of a single water truck. Yeah, That's crazy. Yeah. Um, and, it, and not only is it crazy, I mean, that's devastating. That's awful. Yeah. And so there's there's obviously, those, those are some deep cuts. That's going to take a long time to get those things um, back up on track and, and hopefully, you know, they can start to at least get some of those basic needs met with, uh, you know, food, water, and shelter. It just seems awful. And it's, I think really surprising that we just to see those images in 2017. Right. You know, you would think that that's not, you would think it's a third world country and it's really not. No, it's not at all. And mm. furthermore, mm. you know, we've got, it's 2017. We were just talking about how you can order bottled water off yeah. of Amazon. Mm-hmm. You know, let's get these people some water and some tents and yeah. some generators. And, yeah. you know, but it's tough. Those the, with the, the roads facilities. and elect, electricity, phones, all this right. stuff being down, there's, it's, you can't quarterback it. It's like how you can't get the team on the field to call the play because you don't have any. You know, you don't have any of the resources that we all rely on, mm-hmm. you know, and it, it also raises other interesting things. Like I was reading this week about the the U.S. electrical grid here on the mainland is um, it's a private enterprise, yeah. yet our military relies on the electrical grid for 99.9% of its, um, you know, needs and abilities. So that that kind of raises some interesting things about uh questions about our security and and how we do deal with any of these things as they arise and um you know you, this constant struggle between what we want from the government and what we don't want from the government well, you know can, you can kind of see it too indirectly through Mexico City too because Gosh. you get all these because that kind of affects us in a way in a different way too but they have a, Mexico City it's just it's crazy. Simple. It's crazy down there right now because of the earthquake. I know. And yeah. I, uh, oh, total yeah. tangent, but yeah. I this week I feel like I was overwhelmed with um, in the news feed about still the NFL. And I'm thinking, man, you, everyone wants to talk about the NFL. Yeah. And Mexico had two devastating earthquakes. It's, it's, and we're it's, not... We're not even talking. We're not about talking that. about that very much. Um, the people are feeling that the, the ratings for the NFL are going down. So maybe that's <laughs> the way that it's going to resolve that issue. Maybe, but um, but yeah, we, it's it's our priorities are all screwed up. They're all messed up because the all these disasters should take precedence over that, and they don't. Yeah, pretty wild. Um, couple of other just kind of put the finishing touch here on the economic portion. We've got um, the third and final reading of the second quarter GDP for the U.S. Um, was 3.1%. 
Um, the previous reading was 3%. So altogether, you got to look at second quarter GDP looking pretty strong. Um, we did get numbers yesterday for the August personal income and spending. Personal income was up 0.2% and spending up 0.1%. Um, the core PCE we're only plus 1.3% year over year. That kind of ties back to the what Dan was sharing with us about um, that inflation number that the feds track. But uh, altogether, you know, economically, it seems like things are relatively strong. You know, of course, the new focus is, is get these storm-ravaged parts of the country put back together and get back on track with, uh, you know, growing and building a stronger economy. Um, we'll be seeing now, you know, this tax reform stuff that's coming out, getting kicked around. We got to see where all that dust settles. And of course, that's that's gaining some media attention, but it's going to be after the budget um, negotiations all go down. So we'll have that to talk about and chew on for the next couple of months here on the show. It'll be interesting to track all of those things. Um, I think it's time for the final commercial break here of the show. I think so. And then when we get back, I, I got a little bit more loan stuff to talk about. Freddie Mac has made some more changes in terms of um, – what we're looking at for appraisals and those requirements. So I thought those would be worth sharing as well. So let's go ahead and do the uh, commercial break here. And we'll be back in a couple minutes with more Mortgage Matters. To ask a question or make a comment, call 543-8830 or 800-549-5832. Mortgage Matters on KBEC News Talk 920. We'll be back after these messages from our sponsors. Hi, this is Jason Grody of Central Coast Linux. The most critical part of buying a home is getting pre-approved for a mortgage. Pre-approved buyers are taken more seriously, enjoy a less stressful transaction, and close faster with no last-minute surprises. Before you meet with a realtor, step one is to get pre-approved. Just call 543 Central Coast Lending is an equal housing lender. California BRA number 018-39608. DBO number 6054783. MLS number 328358. We're the mortgage experts on the Central Coast. Central Coast Lending. For those of us who live here on the Central Coast, we know this is a unique place to have a home. And for over 30 years, Patterson Realty has been a vital part of San Luis Obispo County. Patterson professionals have led the way in real estate by adapting to new market conditions to make sales happen. What they offer is the quality of their people, agents working just for you. Get the experts at Patterson Realty on your side. Experience the Patterson difference. Call 544-8662 or online at pattersonrealty.com. Through seven presidential administrations, bull and bear markets, and unprecedented change, Blakesley and Blakesley has been here helping residents of the Central Coast reach their financial goals. So if you need retirement advice beyond Social Security, want to roll over an old 401k, or simply seek guidance through an important financial decision, visit Blakesley and Blakesley in San Luis Obispo, Paso Robles, and Santa Maria. Blakesley and Blakesley for the service you deserve and the advice you trust. Member FINRA and SIPC. Welcome back. You're listening to Mortgage Matters with host Dan and Jason from Central Coast Lending. If you want to join the conversation, call the show at 543-8830 or 800-549-5832. Now, here's Dan and Jason. Somebody once told me the world is gonna roll me. I ain't 
ain't the sharpest tool in the shed. She was looking kind of dumb with her finger and her thumb in the shape of an L on her forehead. Well, the years start coming and they don't stop coming. Fed to the rules and I hit the ground running. Didn't make sense not to live for fun. Your brain gets smart, but your head gets dumb. So much to do, so much to see. So what's wrong with taking the back streets? You'll never know if you don't go. You'll never shine if you don't glow. Hey now, you're an all-star. Get your game on, go play. Hey now, you're a rock star. Get the show on, get paid. Didn't these guys do a concert recently here? Smash Mouth? Yeah. yeah. I believe they did. Yeah. Maybe up at the I feel like road. one of the dudes from the softball team was saying he was going to Smash Mouth. Yeah. I believe they did. Good band. I love it. I love it. Let's get that in there again. All right. Hey, so those of you loyal listeners probably realize that we talk about the automated underwriting engine quite a bit on the show, and um, it's a big part of our business. You know, um, USDA uses their own automated underwriting engine called Gus, and uh, but otherwise. Most every loan program uses either Fannie Mae or Freddie Mac's automated underwriting engine. They, uh, you know, basically we take and upload the loan application in a digital format into the engine, as well as associate the credit report with that loan file, and then and then basically hit go. I mean, you got to clear out all the errors and make sure that all of your entries are valid and understood. But once you have it to where it's going to go and run without an error, it comes back. It essentially, it's a decision engine and it tells you what you need to know. I mean, if I say, you know, Dan is self-employed, he's been in his business for, you know, owned his own business for nine years and he's been in this line of work for 15 years and this is his pay and this is his savings and this is his house and this is what we think it's worth and this is what he owes. The engine comes back and says, okay, here's what we want. You know, we from Dan, we want your tax returns and we'd like your paycheck. Um, we want to see your bank statements or not, you know, all these different things. But basically it outlines what it is is going to be required to make this loan. And I was talking about this earlier in the show because that automated underwriting engine, it makes findings about the property too. Um, in the case of a condominium, it tells you whether you get a limited or a full review. And there's different guidelines about what that entails and it has an impact on you know, ultimately whether the loan gets approved or not, but also just the documentation that you'll need going through. Um, so Fannie Mae's automated underwriting engine um, is called Desktop Underwriter, and Freddie Mac's is called um, Loan Prospector. And um, the big update is that this month, Freddie Mac has laid out... Um, new eligibility um, for appraisal alternatives. So 
as part of the automated underwriting engine, there's an automated collateral evaluation component to the engine, which we call ACE. That's the acronym for automated collateral evaluation. And so now when you run um, through LP, you're going to get um, some finding as to whether or not you need an appraisal. And interestingly enough, LP's um, ACE system is now giving uh, appraisal waivers for purchase and refi transactions if you meet certain criteria. And, um, you know, that basically it's owner-occupied and second home. Um, so like your vacation home, you know, that you don't rent out. But basically um, on a purchase loan, yeah, it's owner-occupied and secondary residences that could be eligible for a waiver. Uh, on a refi, there are even waivers that are going to be extended for investment properties. So this is kind of a big deal because it means that you could potentially shave seven to 10 days off of the time it takes your loan to close. It also could mean that it could save you, um, you know, I'd suggest five to $700 is probably the cost of an appraisal on the spectrum there. If you're um, just a standard single family owner occupied appraisal is probably 500 bucks anymore. And if you're an investment property where we need a operating income statement and a comparable rent schedule, that could be 700 bucks. So um, getting out of that fee and having a shorter appraisal time, um, you know, not needing that appraisal again, could cut seven, 10, 14 days off of the loan process. Kind of a cool thing. Um, and I thought I'd bring it up here because this is another thing about, uh, the way that lenders are set up is different. Um, some companies offer only Fannie Mae loans. And so they may not have access to this. And some lenders offer only Freddie Mac loans. So they may not have uh, access to the other side. Uh, we're set up where we have access to both. And in our setup department now, when we run the automated underwriting engine, we run it on both Fannie Mae and Freddie Mac to find out where we can get the, um, you know, the waiver, potentially the, the best terms for our clients. So that's, again, just another way that we're a little bit different and hoping to save you time and money. Um, we're getting down to the to the end of the show here, and I, I do I feel like we covered an awful lot of ground today. Um, but I, I would again like to remind you all, uh, if you feel like you just want to check in on your loan, make sure that you got a good loan, make sure that your term, you know, understand what options there are. Uh, there's an, we don't charge to do those consultations. Um, and truly the reason we don't is that it gives us the opportunity to gain some credibility with you, forge a relationship with you, either help you in the future, or maybe be able to help your friends and family, um, sooner than that. And so, um, otherwise the no brainers are, if you've got an interest rate that's above probably four and a half percent. If you've got an adjustable rate loan, if you have a loan that has mortgage insurance on it, these are all reasons why you should call and and let us take a look at it and see if you're doing the right thing. Um, it's super easy. It's a no pressure thing. We are not obnoxious salespeople. We're really trying to uh, just help. So uh, you can call us at 543-LOAN, which is 543-5626, or you can check us out on the web, which is centralcoastlending.com. 
Thanks much for being with us today on this last day of September. I guess we'll see you all in October for the next episode of Mortgage Matters. Be well, everyone. This is KVEC San Luis Obispo. News Talk 920 and FM 96.5. It's 11 o'clock. From ABC News, I'm Daria Albinger. Puerto Rico still trying to recover from the one-two punch of hurricanes Irma and Maria. FEMA Regional Director John Rabin says the relief effort may be slow going, but it's going in the right direction. We're making, uh, we're making progress every day. Uh, today will be a little bit better than yesterday. Uh, tomorrow will hopefully be a bit better than today was. But officials on the island might not agree. ABC's Alex Perez in San Juan. Federal officials are now saying that the response here has been unsatisfactory and they are promising to do everything they can. At this point, there's a three-star general on the island here sort of coordinating the military efforts. There are some 10,000 and federal, military, and civilian personnel on the ground trying to get help to people who need it. President Trump visits the U.S. territory on Tuesday. Today, he criticized the mayor of San Juan in a tweet for saying the response was too slow. The White House rethinking its travel guidelines after Health and Human Services Secretary